and Dennis Stewart. What are we talking about today? Last week we talked about food and mm. how it can be good for us medically. And look, I think we should continue that um, topic, Jane. There's been a lot of uh, listener interest uh, fed back to me this week. And what I thought we'd do is continue by looking at the way in which some of the th- substances we've mentioned, particularly curcumin from turmeric, um, looking at turmeric more than just curcumin, looking at the way in which that incredible spice from South Asia has powerful potential anti-cancer properties. We're thinking about food. Yes, and and, and before we um, uh, get too far into it, we might just um, touch on that topic that uh, I introduced the program uh, with, and that is the way in which curcumin, um, frequently mentioned in our discussions on this program both last year and uh, even uh, early this year, the way in which curcumin must not just be seen as the uh, only agent in turmeric that makes it so important. I wanted to point out this morning to listeners that uh, curcumin is what we call a phytochemical. It's an extract of the herb turmeric. And as such, that particular extract has demonstrated usefulness as being a softer but an effective anti-inflammatory at a time when many conventional anti-inflammatories are looked at with a degree of reservation by virtue of the way in which some have potential to erode the gut and others perhaps even can bring about cardiac problems, maybe. With something like uh, curcumin extracted from turmeric, it's been demonstrated that it is useful for what we might refer to as the milder levels of arthritic, rheumatic pain, and it is effective there. That's pretty uh, indisputable. But... But, and this is the most important thing that I wanted to raise today, don't overlook the food itself. We must remember curcumin is an extract, but it doesn't exhaust the larger dimension of activity associated with this very, very important spice. I wanted to emphasize this morning that turmeric, which is, as everyone knows, is the major component of curry, the turmeric is a spice. And there is mounting evidence around the world that it may have a significant action in resisting cancer. Now, this might seem to be an overstatement, Jane, but in a book that I frequently refer to and have constantly uh, recommended to listeners, and that is the book entitled Foods to Fight Cancer by the two Canadian PhDs who are working with this topic. In that text, there's a very interesting discussion or study which shows comparative rates of cancer in India where turmeric is is used in, in incredible amounts and in the US where turmeric is not used very much. And the study demonstrated that per 100,000 people, the incidence of cancer of all rates in India, for instance, in men was 99. 99 men per 100,000 experienced cancer in India, as opposed to 361 men in the US, and that was all cancers. Now, that in itself should indicate that there's some potential correlation between the ingestion regularly of this important substance in the diet. Now, the information goes on, even more excitingly, to point out that particularly in the area of of the colon, uh, cancer of the colon is a very... Um, very common cancer in our society today. In India, in India, where turmeric, the spice, 
is included in virtually all food, the incidence of colon cancer in males per 100,000 was 5. In the U.S., it's 41. Oh, there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Now, I could go on and on and on, and we're not saying, and the, the, the text, the information that we have, is not saying this is conclusive, but there is significant enough evidence for people who are interested in lifestyle modification there is significant evidence to suggest that certain foods and spices, and in this case, particularly turmeric, has greater potential than just being the source of a, of a gentle anti-inflammatory. As a total substance, as a herb, as a spice incorporated daily into food, it may have significant resistance to the development of cancer per se. And in the text that I have referred to and even mentioned today, it's basically sta stated that a teaspoonful of turmeric in the diet, taken daily, is a major way of locking into this knowledge, keeping in mind that when turmeric is taken in order to promote its assimilation, it also has to be taken with a small amount of black pepper to promote its assimilation. That's important information. So that is even without using it as a kind of curry to make a curry, oh, yes. you can you just can, eat it by you, itself. In fact, in fact, I had a patient come in this morning who is seeing, I think, an osteopath. And I was very impressed because the osteopath is locking into this information, which I'd like to think was picked up from our program. And he has devised, if you like, uh, a sort of a soup preparation where um, turmeric is taken in conjunction with a small amount of black pepper on a daily basis to achieve the benefits that we've spoken about, but also, of course, to harness the potential anti-inflammatory action. So it's very useful knowledge, and interestingly, turmeric is readily available. It's the cheapest of all spices. You can purchase it from any uh, Indian food shops or even from our health food stores. I would advise all listeners to take on board what we've started to discuss this morning, and that is the potential of this substance as a regular component of our diet based on significant information I'd encourage most listeners to do what I do, start to use it on a daily basis. Now, just before we get to Donna's call, there is a great power failure in Newcastle West. King Street at Steel Street, the RMS website tells us, traffic lights are blacked out. There are two other sets of traffic lights blacked out. It is what is known as a confirmed local power failure. And in fact, it's all the way from Aldi, Union Street, Aldi, down to Hanel Street, Bank Corner. So thanks so much for bringing us up to date on that. And uh, yes, let's see if we can feel good otherwise. <laughs> and uh, Donna's rung in from Merriweather on 49216216. Now we're talking about diet for a redundant colon, Donna. Hello, Donna. Yes, that's yep. correct. Hello, Donna. How are you? Hello. I'm fine, thank good, you. Good, good. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Good. Explain your symptoms, Donna. Um, well, my sim I've been diagnosed through mm. a colonoscopy Good. Um, to say that I have a redundant colon. Mm. And, yes, I get a lot of abdominal bloating. Yes. And, um, yeah, I get constipated and... I have trouble, basically, okay. um, with my bowel, yes. and I get a little bit of pain as well. And okay. what I was interested in was what sort of diet I should be following okay. and whether there's a health supplement that I can perhaps take okay. um, or some you know, natural therapies for okay. that. Uh, first of all, are you 
taking any prescribed medication from your doctor for your condition? No, I'm not at the moment. Okay. Other than some, I do have some probiotics. Okay, well, that's good. Look, what I would suggest you do are some simple things uh, and inexpensive things. I think as far as diet is concerned, one of the things that might be useful for you is to increase the amount of what we call soluble fibre in the diet. And by that I mean the substances that contain usually a mucilaginous content and that content is most classically found in things like psyllium or slippery elm. So if you haven't already tried that, um, I would encourage you to do that. I'm a great fan uh, favourably of slippery elm, which has addressed uh, many problems of the large bowel very, very effectively in my career. It's not expensive, it's an over-the-counter product, and it is used to promote improved uh, bowel function. So. I'd suggest you do that as a start, um, principle number one. The second thing is that if you're developing some bloating and abdominal discomfort, um, again, uh, natural medicine can be of benefit to you here, and what I say to you can be taken on board uh, for many people who experience varying functional uh, symptoms associated with the, the abdomen and particularly the intestinal tract, the large bowel, two things that you need to take on board. There is very, very credible uh, documentation, particularly in European traditional medicine, for harnessing the benefits of German chamomile. Now, oh. that, that might sound rather simplistic, but uh, chamomile is the, the most popularly prescribed medical herb in Europe, particularly Germany, for dealing with many uh, symptoms associated with the, with the large bowel, colic, abdominal distension, all those uncomfortable things that are not necessarily associated with any major pathology, but are associated with some of these functional conditions which seemingly you're experiencing. Now, chamomile can be obtained in numerous ways, as you would expect. Uh, most people think of chamomile just as, as a herb to use for insomnia or for restless sleep. I've never really found it effective for that, but I uh, had my eyes opened probably 25 years ago in uh, studying the text by the great German medical practitioner and phytotherapist, Dr. Rudolf Weiss, whose literature I have lectured from most of my career. And he has the greatest uh, discussion in any modern text on the use of this herb for addressing functional states of the, of the gut. So I would suggest that you start to use that on a daily basis in whatever form suits you, capsule, tea or whatever. Um, oh, you it, can buy it in the form of a tea. You can indeed. It's one of the most, right. It is one of the most popular uh, herbal teas um, and your health food store would be an ideal place to source that or, or a good pharmacy these days may also stock it. But I'd get hold of that. And the other thing is... Um, don't it has over... to be German chamomile. Oh, no, no, no. It's, right. it's, it's, it's just called German chamomile because that's the common name given to it. We actually grow it here in Australia. Its botanical name is Matricaria. So I just mentioned German chamomile because that's a colloquialism associated with it. But it's cultivated all around the world. We would grow it here. It's, it's accessible, economical and very effective. And the other thing I would say is for, for the bloating and some of the colic that you may be experiencing, um, go to your pharmacist or your health food store and get hold of a little product called Mintech. Now, Mintech, Mintech. is a product, an encapsulated product, um, enterically coated of peppermint oil. And peppermint uh, has a remarkable and well-proven uh, 
benefit for addressing symptoms of bloating and colic. So those two things, in conjunction with the information that I've given to you about soluble fibre, may be a start to give you some symptom relief from what you've been diagnosed with. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Donna. And I was also um, advised not to have a lot of red meat as well. So, Okay, that was the, uh, that was the advice from your specialist? Yeah, from a doctor, my GP, okay. my specialist. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm impressed with that. In fact, I mentioned earlier this morning in our discussion on, on some of the herbs and foods we've been discussing, I mentioned a text uh, entitled Foods to Fight Cancer by two Canadian physiologists, Bellevue and Gingras. And in that text, as part of a dietary guide, they concur that... Um, a useful or a useful reduction in the amount of red meat may be useful for improving the health uh, and um, and functioning of the large bowel. So whilst I enjoy red meat, don't get me wrong, um, there does seem to be some evidence suggesting that for some bowel conditions and bowel pathologies, a conservative use of it might be recommended. So I think your GP has given you good information. Excellent. Okay, well, it's, it's good to have it backed up by you as well. So well, thank you. Thank you very much for thank your you. help. Thank you. Dennis, you started talking about turmeric today and Paula has rung in from Toronto and you've got a comment on turmeric, Paula. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hello, what... uh, hello Dennis. How are you? I'm well indeed. Um, just as you... Um, I, I did listen to the program last week, but I've heard of the benefits of this, um, the turmeric, and yes. I'm actually making the powder as making a paste. Good, good. Um, while, um, while I started to listen to your program today. Great. A, a couple of queries about the, yes. um, the turmeric. Yes. The, is there a difference in the, the quality of it? You know, can you just oh. buy turmeric from the supermarket? Yes, or indeed. Or is it better to get? In fact, one of my um, patients the other day um, said she'd purchased it in a very large volume from a, a local Indian shop. Yes, I, knew, I thought you could, but I mean, I wasn't accessible yeah, look, to that. Tur- um, turmeric so is... I just bought just normal yep. turmeric from the, you know, like a spice, the spice jars. That's fine. So that's that's fine. Right? Yes, so look, no... turmeric is turmeric. It is a, an unprocessed substance. All that's happened is the actual herb itself has been dried and then subjected to a powdering process. It's okay. a very simple yeah. process indeed. No, yeah, look, it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's simple to use. Um, easy to use, inexpensive, and uh, the more study, the more study I do of that particular um, spice, which I first learned about at university where I studied South Asian history, uh, the more I learn about that spice, the more I'm convinced that it explains a lot of things about the relationship between simple food substances and cancer prevention. Yes, yes. Well, just in um, where you, we've been using it, my husband's using it for... Um for a bad back, just for anti-inflammatory yes, good, purposes. Good. And we've also been giving it to our very old dog. Yes. And I think it's made a, a huge difference to her because she has arthritis. Yes. Oh, look, I'm glad, I'm glad to, to hear that, that listeners are actually using the simple preparation in the proportions we've mentioned rather than perhaps go straight away to the curcumin extract. Curcumin extract is useful and I prescribe it, but uh, the same benefits can be achieved if you are prepared to do what you've been doing, and that is purchase the, the crude powdered herb, process it simply, and use it on a regular basis. Yes, I congratulate we just, um, you. We just freeze it. Why not? Put it into ice cubes and then just freeze it. Why not? 
and then we just take out a few, you know, like a daily um, use and just eat them as we're having our meals. Well, I like curry, of course. Yes, that was mainly. Yeah, yeah, that's all I was. Well, I'm very, I'm very pleased you rang in, Paula. That's good feedback, and the listeners, I'm sure, would have taken on board what you've said. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. And uh, just to, uh, to refresh my memory, mm. Dennis, um, does honey go into this paste? Or is that... Oh, look, uh, honey, honey can go anywhere, Jane. <laughs> You'd expect me to say that, but it doesn't have to go into this paste. But it can go in one of these days. In fact, I think I have the recipe that the, one of my patients gave me, that her osteopath gave her. I'll try to locate it and bring it in and give it out on the, on the program if I can locate it. Oh, it's always good to have a recipe to follow. It is. At 49216216 is the number for your questions. Anne has rung just that. And Anne, diabetes, you've just co- you're just coming to grips with that, are you? Yes. Hello, Anne. Oh, hello. I do enjoy your program. Thank you. Um... I've just been diagnosed with diabetes. Yeah, type 2 diabetes? Type 2. Yes, yes. And I'm taking Metex XR. Yes. 500 milligrams yes. once a day. That's from your doctor, of course. Yes. Okay. Look, that's, that's the, the starting base medically yes. for managing this condition, and yes. I've got no problems with that, obviously. It might interest you uh, to know, Anne, that um, I am or have been diagnosed myself as being insulin-resistant, but pro- or but choose at this stage uh, to manage my condition with my GP uh, regularly monitoring me, uh, to monitor my condition by doing a number of things. I regularly uh, do my blood sugar readings, yes. uh, and I would encourage you to get into the habit of doing that. It helps your doctor uh, manage you more effectively. The little AccuCheck unit. Yes, is, I've got one of those. Uh, I, I, um, I ch- take mine regularly to keep an eye on things. I take it always before breakfast on most days. That's um, it. That, that's, that's what I do as a starting base. Yep. But um, also what I encourage my listeners and what I do myself is to include in the diet a couple of uh, simple substances. The first thing that I would encourage you to do uh, is begin to use an, another Asian vegetable uh, called bitter melon. Bitter? Bitter melon. People can people confuse it uh, with bitter lemon. Uh, I like bitter lemon too, but bitter melon, it, it has a botanical name of momordica, and it is probably one of the most eaten uh, vegetables in South Asia. It is very bitter. Uh, it is available from some of our fruit stores and supermarkets. It's like a, a large cucumber with, with very um, lumpy uh, outside, if you like. It, yeah. It's not popularly eaten by Australians, but it can be eaten. Um, a lot of Indian people or Pakistani or South Asian people that live here um, eat it um, greatly. And in fact, a couple of my Indian patients over the years have, have given me various ways of harnessing it. But most Australians find it more convenient to purchase the powder, just, oh, good. just bitter melon powder. And in fact, I developed a product under my, my logo, Dennis Stewart Signature Products, which is just bitter melon powder and a teaspoonful of that powder daily. Right. And it has to be taken ritualistically. A, pow- a teaspoonful taken daily can sometimes have remarkable effects in improving blood sugar levels and in some situations in the early stages of type 2, leading the GP perhaps to uh, alter the direction of drug therapy. So it will not clash with what your doctor has prescribed, albeit you should indicate to him or her 
what you are taking so that it can be noted and he can monitor any improvement. Yes. So that is one of the things that I do. The other thing, um, which sounds even simpler, but again, if you get on the net, uh, you'll find it um, very, very highly recommended, and that is a teaspoonful of cinnamon. Taken, say, take it at night in a, in a drink or whatever form you like. But cinnamon crops up a lot in the literature as having a use. A teaspoon? Yeah, about a teaspoonful in whatever form. Again, don't, per, they don't have tablets for that? Oh, you can, but cinnamon, cinnamon. Uh, what yes, I mean, it's, it's not I a bad spice to take. You can put it on your coffee or your, yep. or whatever. I put it in cakes. Well, okay, but you've, you've got to take a teaspoonful of it ritualistically. <laughs> get, the, get the idea in your head that food is your best medicine yes. and try to I'm take it. I'm going to have the cakes now. Oh, well, okay. I was going to say, if you've been diagnosed with type 2, I'm sure your GP wouldn't be encouraging you to eat massive cupcakes. But, no. but never mind. Those two simple things. Yes. And, and thirdly, thirdly, there's a herb called gymnema, G-Y-M-N-E-M-A, gymnema, G-Y-N-E-M-A, gymnema, yeah. yes. sylvestra, just right, just right, S-Y-L. That's its botanical name, right. gymnema, and it is used as the primary or one of the primary natural drugs in South Asia for addressing uh, early type 2 diagnosis. Now, it probably would have to be purchased in a finished form, in a tablet or a capsule. It's readily available. But what I'd suggest you do first up is just try the first two little approaches. Begin yes. to use the bitter melon. Uh, begin to use the cinnamon. But look, there is an excellent reference text that's almost a Bible in my practice and in my own lifestyle. And um, Dr. Sandra Cabot's book. I've got her book. Right, on type 2 diabetes. I, I have great regard for that for the lady and the associate of hers, uh, right. who who um, collaborated in the writing of that excellent text. Being a medical practitioner as well as a natural therapist, um, the information in it, in my opinion, is very soundly based, very readable, and I would yeah. say to anyone out there who has been diagnosed with type two late onset insulin insulin resistance, regardless of what you take. Get hold of uh, Dr. Cabot's book. It's very inexpensive. It's readily available from my rooms at 39 Alma Road, New Lambton. I have it there for my patients or, or, or clients that want to procure it. But yep. you start to do that. Use those two substances. I'd be surprised if your uh, blood sugar levels and your what's called your HbA1c, which is the major indicator of your management, I'd be surprised if they didn't improve. Wonderful. So, great. Well done. Um, thanks for your question, Anne, and good luck with all of that. Now, Dennis, we've got a question that's come in, but mm-hmm. not with a person attached at this stage on 49216216. Mm-hmm. Um, can you let us know again uh, about the turmeric preparation for inflammation? How, okay. how do you use it to help well, that way? It's very simple. Uh, and I'm glad you've mentioned the word inflammation because even in uh, in the r- material written by uh, Belleville and Gingras on the topic of, of uh, cancer and the way in which certain foods and spices can resist it, um, turmeric, turmeric, which contains curcumin, emerges as being beneficial, uh, particularly on the large bowel, for its ability to inhibit inflammatory activity. So we know, we know that turmeric uh, containing curcumin, um, part of its action 
is that of an anti-inflammatory agent for multiple locations of the body. I think one of the most exciting areas, by the way, of using turmeric is in its potential to address uh, certain large bowel conditions. It's simply taken in the way that uh, I have mentioned already today, direct from the text that I have so much regard for, and that is just simply begin to use on a daily basis, um, say, a, a teaspoonful, say five grams of turmeric. It must be taken uh, together with a very small amount of black pepper and um, mix the two together and make sure you're taking a heaped teaspoonful of the combination daily in whichever form you like, in your food or as a paste, whatever suits you. But let me emphasise again, the recommendation would seem to be about five grams, a heaped teaspoonful of the powder into which you've also blended a small amount of black pepper. That done on a daily basis should be able to elicit a useful anti-inflammatory effect. Testosterone replacement therapy. Can we talk about that without having Paul here? Oh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll attempt to, we'll to, have to, a go. to talk about that. This is, this is a very controversial topic. It's not unusual for, for males as, as males get older to find that their testosterone levels uh, begin to drop. Now, this doesn't always mean that, uh, that males become incapable of, um, of sexual activity or even erection activity. Uh, there doesn't seem to be an explicit guaranteed association between lower uh, levels of testosterone and sexual function. I think there's more associated with the way in which lowered testosterone levels may have something to do with bone strength and decline in muscle strength. Now, if this is an issue and a serious issue, obviously the general practitioner needs to be the first person to consult and sometimes uh, testosterone replacement therapy is offered. Um, I'll be, my, my opinion on this is that I'm not, I'm not a fan of this. I think we've got to be careful that we don't uh, see ageing um, always requiring uh, being topped up on something which is obviously naturally meant, in my opinion anyway, um, to decline a bit. Uh, you can you can philosophise on that and say, why should this be so? Um, however, my view is, in the face of this, to address some of the symptoms, take on board what other cultures do. You rarely see Asian males talking about testosterone uh, therapy, replacement therapy, because they have a great regard for the role of the ginsengs. And we have mentioned ginseng on this program as a particularly useful herb for a male. And I'll not elaborate, but I can, I can tell you from my experience, I've met many, many elderly Asian men who I envy. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they may be using a lot of ginseng. I'll not elaborate, Jane, but <laughs> there's, there's a sort of tongue-in-cheek answer to, to the gentleman's inquiry. So thanks for your question, Paul. And while we're on the same general age group, um, Alma, who's also rung off, rang in from North Lambton about menopause. menopause yeah. now, just before mm, you talk mm, about menopause, because mm. it is obviously a close sure. thing, um, 49216216, we do still have a little bit of time for a call. So um, menopause, mm. what's going to help there? Look again, here um, menopause can manifest itself in various ways. Um, it's, so some women move through what used to be referred to as the change 
um, cruise through it without too much distress. Um, I think my own wife is a good example of that, and she wouldn't mind me saying so. Other people experience quite um, significant levels of symptoms with unmitigated flushing, a hideous perspiration, uh, which can be very, very debilitating in many, many ways. And I know it's not popular to to suggest uh, mainstream hormone replacement therapy. I'm of the viewpoint. I'm of the viewpoint that if the condition is so traumatic and th- so unmitigated, uh, the GP perhaps is is uh, is right to make a recommendation that a trial on a selective HRT program may be the way to go. Now I know that sounds controversial coming from a natural therapist, but I'm also aware of the way in which this uh, menopause can manifest itself so traumatically in some women. Now, there is a midpoint. For those uh, women that are experiencing what I would refer to as more irritable, um, not traumatic, but more irritable levels of symptoms, um, there are a bracket of substances frequently found in foods and also in herbs known as phytoestrogens. Now, phytoestrogens as the name implies, um, are those substances that mimic the effect of the female hormone. We're not entirely sure of how they achieve that. We suspect that these substances found in herbs and foods target some of the receptor sites that the patient's estrogen may have uh, targeted initially and as a result provide some uh, mild natural replacement effect. There are a couple of ways of suggesting that women experiencing these milder level of symptoms using phytoestrogen knowledge can help themselves. And I'll go through a couple of quick recommendations. Simple as it sounds, a herb that's used very, very effectively, particularly in European countries and particularly in France, is the herb sage. Now, it might seem strange. People say sage. We stuff chooks with sage. Well, (laughs) sage is a medicinal herb, and one of its major activities is that of an antihydrotic, which means it has the effect of lessening perspirational function. And I have seen some of the most intractable cases of perspirational problems in the menopause reversed as a quiet perseverance with the use of sage in a capsule or simply as a herbal tea. There are more sophisticated preparations, preparations based, say, on red clover. They're also in the marketplace, uh, numerous names and brands. Red clover is a phytoestrogenic herb and should be, uh, should be tried, as is the herb black cohosh. Those two herbs are frequently the most popularly used in over-the-counter preparations from the pharmacist uh, in, a, in addressing, if you like, the milder levels of the condition. Now we've just got time for one more call from Judith of Valentine. And Judith, um, you're wondering about the properties of zinc. Yes, please, Dennis. Oh, look, uh, how are you, Judith? Thank you for ringing in. Um, look, I'm a, a fan of zinc mainly, mainly for its immunological support uh, with, with, in conjunction with vitamin C. Um, yes, well, I've been taking it all the time. Yes, good. Your, your show before Christmas, you said... It makes your hair grow quicker, or your hair, uh, I think I would have. Said, I think I would have said silica. Silica, I think, is the one that I uh, recommend primarily as a substance that might uh, give some encouragement to both nail and hair growth. And of course, that product is found frequently in our health food stores. 
I, I, I would doubt whether I mentioned uh, zinc, but I have great oh, okay. re- I have great regard for zinc, and I would suggest that for younger people that are beginning to get a little bit of acne, topping up on zinc is a useful thing to do. There would be no other uh, natural remedy recommended by natural therapists for the very early and mild levels of acne vulgaris than to supplement with zinc. So uh, see it from its, for its immunological benefits, that is working with vitamin C particularly in improving our immune response, our resistance to mild viral infections, but see it also as a useful agent for adolescents in addressing early acne symptoms. And is one a day enough? Well, you have to be have to look at the dosage and be guided by the dosage. Look at the dosage and be guided by what is on the label. Thanks for your call. We've had some interesting calls today. Indeed, it's been a very interesting um, day. In fact, I've enjoyed it because we're able to give some information rather than just answer calls. And I hope some of that information uh, is going to be taken on board. It's very important. Tapping into your knowledge. And you'll be back refreshing us all, our knowledge, giving us new things next Friday after the midday news on 2NURFM. Thank you, Jane.